0: again. My name is Luke Hazelmeyer and I'm one of the executive pastors here at Vineyard Church Northwest. It's my privilege to continue us in our series that we've been in all summer on the book of Romans, specifically chapters 13 and 14. And so, or sorry, 12 and 13. And so we've only got a couple of weeks left of our study of Romans and we're going to be looking at verses 5 through 7 this morning. We took a brief pause from last, uh, in the series last week when we had our guest speaker named Leif Hetland here. Leif brought, he was great. He brought a powerful message on who we are and our identity. And so I want to encourage you, if you missed that one, or if maybe you're here for the first time and you would like to hear that message, you can find it on our podcast or on our Facebook. Leif is Norwegian, um, so he's, and he's just, he was really fun and interesting to listen to. So I would highly recommend that message like I said, we're going to be continuing on in verses 5 through 7, and the topic is actually part two to a message that Van Cochran, our senior pastor, gave two weeks ago, which was on honoring governmental leaders. And so we're going to continue talking about honoring government. And as we go into this, I want to just ask this question. Have you ever made a decision before, and and the thought after you made the decision was, man, I hope that people around me don't judge me by this decision for the rest of my life. Like, have you ever done something or said something really awkward? Um, Maybe you were walking up to someone you didn't know well, and you were trying to make a good first impression, and you just totally said something that embarrassed you. And you're like, man, I hope, please, God, let them forget this first impression. Right? I've had experiences like that, too. And I want us just to keep that in mind as we go into this. But let's start just by reading the passage. So again, I said Romans 13, verses 5 through 7 this is going to be in the NASB, and here is what it says: Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes; for rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to them all what is due them: tax to whom taxes due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear. Honor to whom honor. So, this passage starts with a therefore. And what I've learned in studying the Bible from just about everybody who mentored me in that, the, when you see a therefore in Scripture, the first question you ask is what's the therefore, therefore? And so I'm going to ask that question, what is the therefore, therefore? And in order to find that out, we actually got to look back at a couple of verses that Van talked about. And so I want to read to you Romans 1 and 2, which is the context for the passage that we just read. So here's what, here's what Romans 13, 1 and 2 says. Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. So, God established government, and the reason He established government was it was one of His responses to the fall of man. God didn't create people sinful and broken. He didn't create people to make evil choices and to inflict pain and suffering on others. But because of Adam and Eve's original sin in the garden, people sinned and evil came into the world and brokenness came into the world. And so government was one of God's responses to the fall of man and Before we dive deeper into that idea, although God did establish the authority of government, government for the nation of Israel was not God's original idea, even after the fall. You see, God had a chosen people in the Old Testament, the people of Israel. And they traced their lineage back to Abraham, who was a man who obeyed God and and expressed faith. In God, And so all the people from Abraham formed a nation called the nation of Israel. And God's intention for the nation of Israel was not to actually even have government at all. You see, although all the other countries did have government in the world, God wanted Israel to be unique and Israel to be different. Um, so I want to read you this quote that kind of talks about this idea. This is from a guy named Greg Boyd, and this is what it says. By the time God was ready to form a nation for himself by delivering the Israelites from the oppressive rule of the Egyptian pharaoh, every nation was ruled by someone and existed in tension with and often at war with other nations. Yet it's clear from the biblical narrative that God originally wanted Israel to be an exception to this, functioning as a microcosm of humanity. And as part of their priestly servant role to other nations, it seems God wanted to manifest his original plan for humanity by raising up a nation that had no need of a human king, for they had God as their king. So Van mentioned two weeks ago that in Genesis 11, we read this fascinating story about the Tower of Babel. And basically all of the human beings at that point in time were under like one government, basically. They were all like one nation. And they set, they set their hearts to build this huge tower. And when God saw what they were doing, God's thought was, wow, all of them together, united, there's like nothing. The potential for them to do what they want to do is basically infinite. And so we need to do something about this. We can't give mankind this much power. And here's why. Building a tower is not a big deal. But if you have one government that rules the entire world, I believe God was looking forward and he saw, wow, if there is only one institution that is responsible to influence everybody on the planet, if that institution becomes corrupt, evil will spread like it you know, never before, like we've never seen. You see, God was looking forward in time and saying, I'm gonna protect them from giving one institution that much power. And so he obviously gave, every, he, he confused all of the people in that story so that they couldn't understand, they couldn't understand most everyone else, but they could understand a group. And so that group spread out and was scattered and formed its own nations. And as these nations rose, governments rose with them. But like I said, God's, his plan for Israel was to be different. But upon Israel's insistence and rebellion towards God over and over again, saying, no, we want a king like the other nations. We want a king like the other nations. God did end up giving even Israel a king. But I share that to share the point that God's desire all along was that we wouldn't need human government, but that we'd be governed directly by Him. But because of sin, because of the fall, because of rebellion, government was instituted and established by God. And here's why. Um, Van talked a lot about this two weeks ago. I just want to quote this commentator named David Guzik. I really like the way he put this. It is through the just punishment of evil that government serves its function in God's plan of holding man's sinful tendencies in check. When a government fails to do this consistently, it opens itself up to God's judgment and correction. So that is the purpose of government on the world in the world to hold man's sinful tendencies in check. You see every human being has sinful tendencies. For example, one person's sinful tendency might be to look at a neighbor's house and say, you know what? I want that house. And so what do they do? They go and they force the people in that house out and they claim that house to be their own. If we didn't have a government that would come in and say, no, that's illegal. You're arrested. I'm taking you to jail. Rightful owners of the house be restored. Then that kind of thing would be possible, would be possible as long as the invading person had greater strength or a greater weapon or whatever. Or think about traffic laws. Like if there was no government and people could just decide how fast they wanted to drive, think about what the roads would be like. Some people might say, you know what, I'm feeling I'm going to drive 130 today. Or someone might be like, you know what, I don't feel like stop signs. Who says I have to stop to a stop sign? Stop lights? No. And I could go on and on. But the point is that If people are just allowed to express their sinful tendencies without any authority above them in society, we would never have an orderly society. We would only have a chaotic, dangerous existence. And we know that God is not a God of disorder, but a God of peace. And that's the very thing that his his intention for government was to provide a measure of peace for the people that are in the land, Now, of course, every government doesn't do that. In fact, some governments inflict more violence and more pain and suffering on their people than would happen otherwise. But nevertheless, that was God's intention for government. And this brings me to an important point. While God established the authority of government, I don't believe that God established—he didn't necessarily establish every individual ruler— now, I do think there are some individuals that, and some rulers that God did. We read in the Old Testament, in the book of Daniel, that God raised up um, kings in Babylon and, and in Syria to accomplish his will. But there are some rulers that God you know, either du- you know, did not intend to take the throne or that did, he, did intake, he did intend for them to take the throne. But then, because of their corruption, he no longer desired them to have the throne. For example, King Saul, Israel's very first king. So again, Israel, God was saying, no, let me, let me be your king. Let me govern you. Israel's like, no, we want a king. And so this guy named Saul from the tribe of Benjamin became the king of Israel. Now, at first, Saul was a king that God wanted, that God had You know, said, okay, well, if you're not going to accept me, then I'm going to put my blessing on King Saul. But then King Saul ended up sinning and disobeying God. And God actually anointed David king while Saul still had the throne. So God was saying, I no longer endorse or approve of King Saul. Now I approve of King David. And so sometimes God does not approve of individual rulers. You know, you could ask, like, did God approve of Hitler? Was, did God establish Hitler to be the ruler? You know, did, all these evil dictators, is God the one who esta- Is that what this verse is saying? That God is the one that established them. And that's, I don't think that's the point or the heart of the verse. I think the heart of the passage that we read earlier is God established government to, in order to bring order to, to nations that the authority of government was given by him. And some governments use it for good and some use it for bad. And so with all of that in mind, the passage that for today, the very first verse was, be in subjection not just because of wrath, but also for conscience's sake. And so I want to break that down a little bit. What does it mean to submit to government for conscience's sake. And here's what I think it means. Submitting for conscience's sake is submitting because you desire to honor your governmental leaders. Doesn't mean you agree with your governmental leaders. Doesn't mean you even like your governmental leaders. But what it means is you desire to honor them. And with that in mind, let me take you back to a verse that Van read in First Peter chapter 2. Pretty simple verse about honor. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Part of following Jesus is honoring the governmental leaders over us and not just honoring them in our behavior, but also honoring them from our hearts. You see, submitting for conscience's sake means choosing to change your hearts towards the leaders that you don't like or don't agree with or angry at. Not just changing your behavior. It's not just saying, well, you're my leader and you, know, you can put me in jail, so I'll, I'll submit, but inside I hate you. And It's not that. It's, I might, feel, I might feel negative emotions towards my leaders. Hatred. I might feel bitterness. I might feel anger. But I'm gonna put that aside and choose to honor them instead. I'm gonna ask God to deal with this stuff and choose to honor them. And I wanna go through, just to make this practical, I wanna go through four like situations that are pretty common that all of us have experienced. And what these situations are are they are decisions that our leaders make. You see, oftentimes the things, That bug us about our leaders is when they make a decision that we don't agree with or a decision that makes our life harder or a decision that inflicts pain on other people. When when there's a decision we don't agree with, that's oftentimes where that root of dishonor can come from. And so the first scenario is this, when a leader makes a good decision on accident. Second one is Yeah, that does happen, right? Second one is a good decision on purpose and then a bad decision on accident and a bad decision on purpose. So we'll start with the first one. When a leader makes a good decision on accident, here's what dishonor looks like. Dishonor looks like shifting the credit. It looks like saying, well, she's lucky that worked well, but she didn't actually do anything to make that happen. It's, It's a shifting of the credit, whereas honor looks like thankfulness. I'm so thankful my leader made the decision she did and I'm going to appreciate her as I experience the good results of her decision. It's a totally different heart posture. And you know what? There's a reason why our, it, sometimes our initial temptation is to shift the credit because we already don't like and, and agree with them and so we feel the need to hate everything about them and never support them and not recognize anything good that they do but that's not a place, that's not a heart posture of honor. Next, sometimes a leader will make a good decision on purpose. And so when that happens, here's what dishonor looks like. Dishonor looks like suspicion. I wonder what her real motives are for making that decision because they certainly aren't what they seem to be. It's suspicion. It's even when there's a decision you like. If it's a leader you don't like and they make a decision you do like, Sometimes the temptation can be to find a way to be suspicious of them. And you know what? I'm not even making the claim that there's no like, worldly justification or reason to be, but we don't live by the world standards. We live by kingdom standards. And in the kingdom, we honor. Next one, when a leader makes a bad decision on accident, dishonor looks like belittlement. How stupid do you have to be to make a decision like that? Whereas honor looks like grace. You know what? That wasn't a good decision, but I'm not going to define my leader by their mistakes. Good thing that God doesn't define me by my mistakes. Good thing that he doesn't define me by my, because I would be pretty screwed, right? So I'm not going to define my leader by his or her mistakes either. And then... Uh, the last scenario, when a leader makes a bad decision on purpose, dishonor looks like condemnation. So she's a horrible person and a bad leader. I condemn them. And again, condemning a person is different than condemning an action. But honor looks like forgiveness. I forgive her for the bad decision that she made. And so every time that we're in, this scenario, we're in a situation where we're examining a decision that a leader above us, whether it's government or any other leader, a boss even, a leader they made, when we're in a place where we are evaluating their decision, we can choose honor or we can choose dishonor. It is a choice. It's not something that just happens to us. You have the choice every time. And I believe that God is calling some of us to a place of repentance when it comes to all of this. You see, I believe this or for some of us, we have had a dishonoring heart posture towards leadership. And I believe that God is calling us to say this, God, I've had a dishonoring heart posture towards fill in the blank, whatever leader you want to say. I confess that it was wrong and thank you for the forgiveness that you bought for me. And I know some of you are thinking like, man, there are so many people that need to hear that right now about our current president. Yeah, but you know what? There are a lot of people, maybe some in this room, that need to go back to the last administration and repent for their heart posture. There are some of us that did not have an honoring heart posture for a leader that maybe isn't in power right now, but has been that was in a place of um, influence or was in a position in the past, and maybe that entire reign of that person, we had dishonor in our hearts toward them. I believe that there is freedom and breakthrough for you to confess that and repent of that dishonor even now that that ruler has left. And I know that there is some resistance to this idea of um, repenting for dishonor towards leaders. You see, the political spirit rationalizes dishonor and justifies dishonor. The political spirit is—it's you know—it it it can be demonic, but really it's a way of thinking. It's like a mindset that exists in our world that um, is all about—it's mainly about politics, and it's there's a lot of things you could say about it. It's divisive. It is hostile. It makes enemies. It makes accusation. But the political spirit rationalizes dishonor our minds, and it says things like, I can't honor someone who practices blatant evil. I just can't do it. Or someone who practiced blatant evil or made blatantly evil decisions. I just can't honor them. And I understand, I understand the difficulty, but I want to remind you of what Van talked about two weeks ago, that when... The apostles were writing these verses, honor your leaders. The leaders that they were calling the people to honor look nothing like the ones we have now. Nero was in power, and if you remember Van's message, Nero crucified Christians and lit their crosses on fire to light the, this, a certain road in, in the area. And so the, the atrocities that were happening by the governmental leaders in the first century, they far exceed the ones that we're seeing, at least in our country. And so, but even even that isn't the real heart of the issue. You know, we can go back and forth and we can debate and argue, but here's really the point. We're not talking about a mind problem, but we're talking about a heart problem when it comes to dishonor. And so what we need to do is we need to get out of our minds and be like, God, I have these beliefs, they're not all sorted out yet, but I know I don't wanna be dishonoring towards anybody. I wanna honor the people around me and so help me deal with this stuff. And I know the question that is very fair to ask is, well, how do we stand against evil in our government while still honoring our government? And that can be a question that trips us up as we're thinking about honor. And if you're in that place, here's what I wanna tell you. Start by giving up the need to stand against evil if you haven't learned honor yet. Learn honor first. Go to God and say, I want to learn honor. And as you learn honor, God's going to teach you what it looks like to honor and, yes, stand up against evil. But while you're still holding on to that justification, that, no, I am right and calling it like, like while you're still holding on to that, it's going to be impossible for you to learn honor. <clears throat> so we are called to honor our governmental leaders. And then in verse 6, Paul goes on to talk about some specific issues. He says this, For because of this you also pay taxes, for rulers are servants of God devoting themselves to this very thing. And so Jesus also affirmed this Give to Caesar, what is Caesar's, and so we're called to pay taxes that are put on us. Now, I do want to emphasize this truth. God's intention for taxes are to restrain evil and keep an orderly society, not to make the rulers rich. So there are times where there is corruption with money and with taxes, and it's not God's desire, and it's not his will what's happening there. Um, But God does, he, he approves of government receiving money from its people. That's what we read here. And then this last verse, verse seven, render to all what is due them, tax to whom taxes due; custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. And so again, we're called to give respect and honor to those who are in authority. Now, I know a question that may have bubbled up two weeks ago or may be bubbling up now is this. Is it dishonoring to a government to rebel against a government? Like, is it, it, based on these messages that we've heard, is it impossible to rebel against a government while still honoring that government? And um, Van and I talked about this. And really, what it comes down to is this. Whether the person knows it or not, God will sometimes use a person or group of people to replace a corrupt government. That does happen. We see that with King Saul and King David. Now, if you know the story of Saul and David, you know that David outrageously honored King Saul up until the point that King Saul died. So David didn't come in and try to... he, He was... Just read the story, but... Um, God will sometimes use a person or a group of people. Now, um, sometimes he won't, and we don't know why. Sometimes he will uh, just leave the corrupt government in its place. And there's a whole nother, that's a whole another sermon, a whole another conversation to have. But there are times that I do believe that God will raise up people to rebel against the government. However, that is the... Outlier, that is the rare rarity, and those people that do that should do it with almost a sense of regret and a sense of, Oh, um, I want to honor my leaders, but I know God is calling me to do this thing that we're doing. And so, honor has to be the initial heart posture. And until again, I want to emphasize this again until a person has learned honor. We can't step into the other places of you know, calling out evil, correcting our leaders, whatever it might be. <clears throat> so that wraps up the section on government. I'd love to just pray before we end. And again, I believe there are some people in here that God is calling you to repent of dishonor. And it's not because he's mad at you. It's not because... He wants to shame you. It's because he wants you to experience freedom and breakthrough. And oftentimes the thing that can be holding us back from breakthrough in our relationships or in our relationship with God is a heart of bitterness, is dishonor, is unforgiveness. And so I believe God's going to be releasing freedom this morning. And so if that is you, if you if you know that you've had some dishonor in your heart, whether it's now or in the past, and you want to repent of that, I just want you to agree and pray with me. So Holy Spirit, we want to be a people that honor. We confess, Jesus, the dishonor we've had in our hearts towards our leaders. We acknowledge it was sin, it was wrong. And while we maybe had some twisted justifications, we're letting go of those. And we're saying we want to honor. We want to be people that honor first and foremost. So would you show us how? Would you change our hearts? We know, God, we can't change our hearts on our own. Would you change our hearts? Would you make us a people that honor? We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.